Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. 46% of Americans expect to leave behind financial obligations when they pass away. So it's crucial to make sure your family is financially protected. Policy Genius helps you find the right life insurance coverage by comparing options from America's top insurers with help from licensed, award-winning agents. Secure your financial future with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get free life insurance quotes in just a few clicks. That's policygenius.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. My name is Clay Newcomb, and I'm the host of the Bear Hunting Magazine podcast. I'll also be your host into the world of hunting, the icon of North American wilderness, the bear. We'll talk about tactics, gear, conservation, but we'll also bring you into some of the wildest country on the planet, Chasing Bear. On episode 15 of the Bear Hunting Magazine podcast, we go on a live coon hunt with myself and a good friend of mine named Jonathan Webster. We take my two plot hounds, Fern and Jed, here in the Ozark Mountains. We'll talk about the history of coon hunting, the cultural significance of coon hunting, the conservation aspects of coon hunting, the how-to, what we're actually doing inside of coon hunting, and then we'll take you along to a tree where we got a coon. How does this hunt tie in with bear hunting? These dogs of mine I got from a bear dog breeder. And these dogs, their whole family history for a long ways back were bear dogs, but I've trained them to be coon dogs, and we have had a tremendous time the last four years hunting these dogs. You're going to enjoy this podcast. It's something different. Stay tuned to the end. Don't knock it till you tried it. Okay. Hey, we're 130 yards directly below them. I'm not going to lie to you, that's a rough piece of land. <laughs> Talk to him, Fern. Talk to him. Good job. 
Good job, Jedi. Yeah, boy. Yeah, boy. Welcome to the Good Bear job. Hunting Magazine podcast. Tonight we are going on a coon hunt. The date. What's the date, Jonathan? Today's the fifth. Today is January the fifth. January fifth. And it is about six fifty in the evening, and we are we are loaded up. And I've got with me a longtime friend. Jonathan Webster. Yeah. Jonathan, give us give give us just a little introduction of yourself. Oh man. I am real excited to be here tonight. Never been hunting before. Obviously we've been friends for a long time, but uh never been hunting before and really, really excited. Life goals. Life goals. Also being on a podcast, life goals. Bam. Well, you know, it's kind of one of these deals where Jonathan and I have we've been friends for a long time, but we've we've never hunted together. And just last Last week, we were looking for some time to get together, and I said, hey, let's go coon hunting. Mm. And he was like, tell me when, and I'll be there. And very, very much like that, yeah. And so this is a great, actually a great opportunity to talk about coon hunting, raccoon hunting. And what we're going to do on this podcast is I'm, gonna, I'm going to talk about basically two separate things that about coon hunting and I'll tell you what they are and then we're going to go on a coon hunt and we're going to record we're going to record some of the kind of live action of the hunt and uh and this is the the spiel we got dog collars sliding, <laughs> sliding all, over all over the, the dash. dash of the truck <laughs> this is the spiel that I give every single time that I take new people coon hunting and mm-hmm. I really really enjoy taking new people coon hunting because it's a you know, if you're trying to take somebody deer hunting, Jonathan, first of all, they've they've got to have their own weapon. Right. They've got to be proficient with that weapon. Right. They've they've got to be prepared to deal with large amounts of meat if they kill a deer. Yeah. I mean, and not everybody's really prepared or ready to do that. They've got to have patience. They've, they you know, the seasons are more. Are, aren't as liberal as say a small game season mm-hmm. okay because like the deer seasons would be much shorter a small game season like coon season here in arkansas is is nine months long there's actually only three months of the year that you cannot hunt raccoons in I arkansas even, i didn't even know there was a season but yeah i mean yeah i know plenty of people who as soon as it's deer season they just jet from work you never you don't see them for you know 10 days and so i didn't even know right and so so this is a this is a great entry point for people to experience hunting and you don't you know when you coon hunt it's a it's a it's safe in the sense of like i I take a lot of kids coon hunting and i tell their parents you know my friends my my children's friends come coon hunting with me and i'm like hey this is safe friend friends (laughs) your children's friends Oh no, your children's friends. Oh, my children's friends. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Children's Children's friends or friends' children. There we We go. We can go either way. Take them coon hunting, and a lot of times people that have never interacted with hunting think that it's it's unsafe. They they think that Mm. their kid is going to be running around with a gun at night. Right. And and I'm like, no, no, no. This is this is actually very safe. There'll only be one gun. I'll be carrying the gun. Um, And that's pretty unique to hunting because in most types of hunting. Everybody needs a gun, but not in a not in coon hunting. Right, and um, and we'll describe exactly what we are doing. But it's a good entry level sport, and this is what I truly love about coon hunting, Jonathan. That's in contrast to my big game hunting, 
is that big game hunting is typically a solo sport. Even even though even though I have all these people that I connect with on a relational level inside of bear hunting and deer hunting and turkey hunting and all these different things when you go on a bear hunt you're by yourself yeah i mean now you may be in camp with people but i mean when you're actually out there hunting you're by yourself man coon hunting i have taken last week we took a group of maybe seven or eight people three or four ladies ladies that you would know uh that you would never expect to go coon hunting my (laughs) wife was there with us and my kids were there, and there were seven or eight of us. I think last year we went on what we called the Cousins Coon Hunt, which was all my my wife, sister-in-law, and I think there were 17 of us that went coon hunting. Oh, my goodness. And, I mean, it was just a blast. You huh. get out in the dark, you turn your hounds loose, and you're able to talk, you're able to converse, you're not, you don't have to be quiet, you don't have to worry about your scent. And most types of big game hunting, there's... It's really there's really more stress involved because you got to do a whole lot of things right, right, to kill a deer, to kill a bear. You know, there's a lot more at stake. That's actually been an intimidation point for me as someone who does has no real exposure or entry into the hunting world to like want to dip a toe in it. That knowing that there's like a lot on the line that I could mess up for somebody else's shot. So right, like that's something that. Uh, that's that's cool that that's not a factor here. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's a term that that houndsmen have used for I don't know how long, but what we're doing tonight is what you'd call a pleasure hunt. And that that phrase may not make sense unless you're a houndsman that you know, if we if we tree a coon or if we don't, it's really not the issue. It's not like we're out here trying to you know, tree 15 coons and sell the hides and make a living for our family mm-hmm. this is a pleasure hunt pleasure nice. hunt we're yeah. just doing it for fun yeah just purely fun and obviously other types of hunting is enjoyable and fun but there's something about turning loose a hound at night that's a lot of fun so here's what we're going to talk about jonathan there's two things i want to tell you about i want to talk to you about plot hounds and this, this, I'm going to talk to you like you're a ten year old, okay? That's okay basically that's my hunting age, actually. So that's that your works, hunting age. That works then, for me. Well, when when these kids come with me, like life has to be interpreted, or or you don't understand it. I mean, it's like walking into an art gallery, and if you saw that same piece of art out of context in somebody's garage. You might walk by it and not realize that that's a world-famous piece of art that has some intrinsic beauty that is extraordinary. Right. So, to me, on a coon hunt, you could be fooled into thinking that that these dogs are just a dime a dozen, and we just turn them loose, and coons are a dime a dozen, and they just run out there and tree a coon, and we go and shoot it and go home, and we're coon hunters. But actually... It's a complex sport that takes a lot of dedication. It's taken decades and decades of breeding in mm. these hounds to get them to do what they want. Mm. There's a lot of cultural value inside of coon hunting that I think some coon hunters don't even recognize. And so we're going to talk about we're going to talk about plot hounds and my specific dogs, mm-hmm. history of plot hounds, and what they uh, 
why I've got these dogs. Because this is a bear hunting magazine podcast. And I'm going to tie these dogs into bear hunting, even though these dogs have never been on bear. Number two, we're going to talk about the way that we're hunting here in the Ozark Mountains in Arkansas with with dogs and with hounds. And, and we'll talk, we'll weave in some of the cultural significance of, of raccoon hunting, okay? Mm. And I think we'll maybe start there. Is that in the South, raccoon, uh, you know, a coon dog is kind of a, culturally iconic and has this like special place in people's hearts in in rural communities you know coon dog coon oh man he's got a good coon dog well at one time the the uh, a coon hide was worth up to twenty five dollars in the in the in the seventies even up to the nineteen seventies a coon hide Jonathan would have been worth $25. That was during a time period when the average poor southerner was probably making about $3.50 an hour. Oh, man. Yeah. Like minimum like wage. A, I mean, think like about it. And, and, right I, and I could I could be wrong in my... I, I did some research a long time ago, and that's what I recall. But, you know, $25 was a lot of money in yeah. 1970 for somebody that was probably making maybe $25 a day. Yeah. Okay. You get a couple coons, you got a you got a couple days work Heck right yeah. there. Yeah. You had a good coon dog that you could take out a couple of nights a week in the winter and tree three coons, four coons, one coon. Man, you you might make a month's wage, you know, at the saw you know, compared to what you're making at the sawmill from this coon dog. Mm. And so this dog all of a sudden had some real value in that family. Right. He became like a working piece of equipment. And in in the, in the further you go back in history in in American history, fur has been has gone up and down in value, but I mean back in the 1800s and all the way through the 1970s when fur prices kind of plummeted because of the anti-hunting community's influence on the fur trade so it's not that way anymore. It's not. No. No. Fur today, these coons that we're hunting, they're weak. They are. They do have some market value, but they'd be worth about probably two dollars a pelt. Wow. Yeah. What a dramatic change. Yeah. And so these hides aren't worth money anymore. Now, in different parts of the country, Jonathan, they would be worth more. Like if you killed a, if you took a coon way up in some of the northern states, the pelt quality would be a whole lot better than the pelt quality here in Arkansas because of the temperature. Mm. It's just not cold enough here, and so our coons don't have the 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 fur density that a northern coon would have. Huh. But you you see where I'm going with the cultural value that came from a coon dog, right. okay? And obviously, it's kind of been a you know, it, there's a stigma on coon hunters that these are just like backwoods hillbillies, and you know they were, <laughs> and they were these were people that were trying to scratch out a living from the resources that they had. Right. You know, <laughs> and that's what I that's what I like about it. And uh, so to be a coon hunter today is, I think, kind of a unique thing. And there's a strong coon hunting culture very much so alive all over the country where there's raccoons and uh there's a big competition coon hunting culture which i'm not really into 
but uh, I have competition coon hunted some, but but uh, that's that's not a focus. The reason, and I I want to jump right to the conservation side of why we do what we do, and this is what I tell all the kids that hunt with us: coon are they are nest predators. So one of the biggest challenges we have right now in Arkansas is that we don't have any turkeys, and coons are notorious nest predators, and turkeys lay their eggs on the ground. Right. And so by removing coons, you are given a chance for a nest of turkey poults to survive. Mm. Um, Coons are, because they don't have value anymore, that very few people hunt them and trap them. And so basically there is an unnatural amount of coons in almost every place as compared to natural coon population patterns that would have been here pre-civilization, pre-European civilization in North America. So basically by having farms and by having trash cans and by having chicken coops and by having all the things that we've done to this place, Mm -hmm. there's a ton of coons. You know, it is fascinating how hunting works on a conservation level that's one of the that's one of the first things that i remember you saying about hunting was that was the history of boone and crockett i believe and incentivizing taking older males out of the population and and i right. i had no idea about that i'd heard m- many times on wherever you know hunters called themselves conservationists and that i never understood that but right that's cool to see that it even goes to like I don't know, is a raccoon a varmint, a varmint level? Varmint. Yes, varmint, sir. all right. Yeah. There's my knowledge, all of it no, right there. You know, there's a, there's a tenet of the North American model for wildlife conservation, and it's called non-frivolous use. So these would be like the ethics of the North American model for wildlife conservation that basically our whole hunting culture in North America is built around, and people do this and they don't even know people have this built inside of them and they don't even really know where it came from Mm -hmm. but non-frivolous use which means that any one of these hunting dads out here would say to their kids if you shoot it you're going to skin it you're going to use it you're going to eat it now with coon we don't eat coon i have eaten coon but typically you're not eating eating coon coon is a predator typically we don't eat predators okay Mm. typically for you can it's like they're edible, but that's not. We're not killing this coon for meat. We will if we kill a coon tonight. I will skin it, and I will use that hide for personal use. I'll get the hide tanned out if it's a nice hide, and give it as a gift or use it in some way. Mm. Um, but even if we didn't, we would still be justified because we just need to kill coons. Mm-hmm. We just need to kill coons. It's, Manage it's, the population. Yeah. 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 This guy that we're hunting on a piece of private land out here, and I texted him just a minute ago and said, hey, we're going to coon hunt out on your place tonight. His exact words were, get them all. <laughs> I mean, this is a landowner that's trying to manage for turkey. He's trying to manage oh. for quail. Quail are ground-nesting birds. And coons are varmints. They will find and get into everything. They'll destroy turkey eggs and nests. And so there is a massive conservation aspect to coon hunting, aside from it just being fun and we enjoy it, and it's a cultural experience to go on a coon hunt. So there's a lot to it. Okay, so that's 
that kind of gives some history of, of why we couldn't. Number two, plot hounds. I want to tell you a story about tree hounds. Most people don't understand tree hounds unless they have some connection to the hound world. So and it sounds the, like tree hounds are different than pot, plot hounds. Well, okay. A, Jumping ahead. A plot okay. hound is a tree hound. Okay. So a plot hound is a breed of dog. Okay. Plot hound is a is a UKC registered breed of dog. And that's the, what I've got back here. I've got two registered plot hounds in the back of my truck. Um, but these plot hounds are tree dogs. So tree dog would be a characteristic of a dog that would describe its action and behavior. Mm -hmm. So when you're hunting a raccoon, what we're doing is we're turning these dogs loose and they are going out and going hunting and looking for where a coon this very night has climbed out of a tree and gone out about his business, walking down creeks, walking down ridges, looking for acorns, catching, you know, whatever he can catch to eat or find to eat. And he's leaving scent right now. The coon that we're going to tree here in an hour, <laughs> leaving scent right now love somewhere. It. Okay. And these dogs go out and find that scent. And when they find that scent, they have this instinct to trail it up. Now, what makes a hound a hound, now pay attention, young 10-year-old, <laughs> is that a hound barks on the track when it smells scent. Okay. There are many dogs that are trail dogs that do not bark on the track, and they are typically not, they're not hounds. Like, there's cur dogs and feist dogs that are tree dogs, okay? They trail stuff, but they don't bark on the track very little. So characteristic of a hound is that when he smells scent mm -hmm. he he's he lets you know he's found it okay and do you have to train that or is that just intrinsic that's just and instinctual in, that's just inside of them nice it has been for a long long time um so they trail this they're trailing this coon trailing this coon we're listening to him all of a sudden, that coon knows he's being chased, and he goes up a tree. The dogs get to the tree, and they smell up that tree, and they circle the tree to make sure he didn't jump out, and they decide that he's up that tree. A tree dog will stay at that tree and bark until his master gets there. That is in contrast to a running hound okay so tree hound barks at the tree stays mm -hmm. there and that is a beautiful wonderful thing i mean like i don't know what would be an example jonathan of something that that you would just be like a connoisseur of that you would just be like this is a beautiful oh, thing oh man I don't even know. <laughs> a good podcast. <laughs> I don't even a know. Good, yes, a good <laughs> podcast. Yes. Well, a tree dog is a beautiful thing because right. they're hard to come by. And not just because you've got a, 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 you know, a breed of dog like plot that's, that are typically tree dogs, it actually doesn't mean they're going to be a good tree dog. Inside of that breed, there's going to be variations. There's going to be some dogs that are really strong tree dogs. Like when an animal goes up a tree, they start barking and they'll stay there for 10 hours. Uh, other dogs might, you know, smell a coon go up a tree and might bark around there for 20 minutes and then peel off and want to go hunting. But here's, here's, the, here's the thing about a running dog, a running hound, 
is that when he smells sin on the ground, he barks. When he smells where that game has gone up a tree, he's like, well, shoot, he ran up a tree. I guess I'll go find something else. <laughs> and, and, and so that's a pretty common type hound uh, that people use for different things, for running foxes, for running coyotes, for running game that does not climb a tree. You don't need a tree dog, mm-hmm. right? And so these are tree dogs. And that, that, is, that is valuable. And these dogs specifically are plot hounds. And this is where I'm going to tie plots. Well, I'm going to tie this coon hunt back into bear hunting is that these dogs come from a long, long line of bear and mountain lion hounds. Now, have I told you that before? No. Okay. I, so you, I knew that you had gone to to look at a dog in like another state some months ago, I, and I, I assumed that there would be a reason for that, some sort of pedigree or something. But right. Well, so when you're talking about a coon dog, like there there's certain mammals that we chase with hounds that climb trees: raccoons, bears, and mountain lions. And there's some some characteristics that are similar between dogs that would chase those animals like pretty much um and 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 there's in each of those species of animals that you're trying to trying to chase there's going to be there's going to be characteristics in a dog that you need really strong that you don't in others okay and here's where i'm getting at fern and jedi there's my two plots male and female fern's four years old jedi's two or three i think he's coming on three um, all of their genealogy back for generations have been bear and mountain lion dogs. A few of them coon dogs in Kansas. And I got these dogs almost on accident. I had written a legendary bear hound column, the very first one for Bear Hunting Magazine. We started a column called the Legendary Bear Hound Column because I wanted to include more hound content in the magazine, and I needed content that I could create myself. That like I could be the, I didn't have to go on a bear hunt. There's a cow on the side of the road. Did you see that? <laughs> no, I missed Did it. Did you touch? Look. Oh my goodness. <laughs> okay. There's right. a cow. Out in the Ozarks. Yep. Um, I needed content that I could create. And so we started this legendary bear hound series. And I think we've made like, we've written 25 legendary bear hound articles. The very first legendary bear hound article I wrote was about a guy named Steve Hurd. And his line of plots called Bluff Creek Plots. And Steve Hurd lived in Protection, Kansas. I called Steve Hurd. I'd heard about him. I told him what I was doing. I said, I want to write a story about one of your old dogs. We wrote a story about a dog named Bear Path Gunner. Remember that name? I remember. Okay. Bear Path Gunner in the 1970s was one of the, was a a nationally known bear dog that just people just knew about and wanted to breed their dogs to, and he was just a great dog. Hmm. Well, these dogs, both of these dogs right here in the back of my truck, have Bear Path Gunner in their 10-generation pedigrees, like, I, I don't even want to say how many times, but like 40 times or something. Hmm. Uh, and I, I, Somebody's going to call me and, and say that was wrong. <laughs> Basically, this is a line bred strain of plot hounds. 
which means they when they find a good dog, they want it over and over and over in that lineage. Okay? Right. And so these dogs come strong from the Bluff Creek and Shamrock line of plots. Okay. Well, I didn't want to bear hunt with hounds. Uh, we can't do it here in Arkansas legally, and I never have. And But I wanted to have my fingers in the bear hound world. So I got dogs out of this real good line of bear dogs, mm -hmm. and I coon hunt them. Because coons and bears are actually quite similar in some ways. They're four-legged critters that run up trees when dogs chase them. Bears are a little bit bigger, <laughs> a little bit meaner. <laughs> That's about where the similarities end, huh? Yeah. Um, so, like, I've had a couple of litters of pups out of these two dogs. Mm -hmm. And those pups are right now in different parts of the country where it's legal to hunt bear uh and they're oh, they're man. being trained as bear dogs so ferna and jedi's offspring are being trained as bear dogs in different places okay? wow so <clears throat> but plot hounds are really cool because they're the only they're the only ukc registered hound that didn't descend from european fox hounds so there's multiple breeds of hounds walker black and tan blue tick english uh redbone all those dogs kind of descended from these same lines of European foxhounds, okay? And a lot of those dogs look quite similar. Well, plot hounds are descendants of German dogs that came over by, they were brought over by a young German boy named Johannes Plot in 1750. And as the story goes, he... He brought five dogs over from Germany that were given to him by his father, and the breed was never outcrossed one time in 300 years. I I had no idea that that was the the legend that they came from such a specific point yeah. in time. And yeah, wow, yeah, and and I mean it's more than it's it's a little better than legend because it that actually happened. Now the thing about outcrossing that we won't step into because there's a big controversy there's some people that are like they have never been outcrossed one time from those five dogs in the history of the plot hound which is probably didn't happen <laughs> and then but there's other people who believe that probably most of the plot hounds that we have today came from those dogs and those dogs were developed and bred in the great smoky mountains of north carolina mm -hmm. plot is the family name of this it was johannes plot that had these dogs mm -hmm. there's there's a there's a range of mountains in north carolina named after that family and the plot hound is a state dog of north carolina oh, i had no idea oh yeah and and so bear hunting with hounds is big in the southern appalachians and in north carolina and so like hunting these dogs it's like Man, you get into the Appalachians and you start talking plots. I mean, this is like cult-type devotion to the breed these guys have. Now, can anybody raise plot hounds? Or is it like the plot hound, the plot family is still involved? Or <clears throat> That's that a good work? question. That's a great question. Anybody can raise plot hounds. The plot family is still involved. Uh, there's a, a lot of the, the, the plot family... That still lives in North Carolina, hunts plots, um, and plots. The epicenter of the plot world is the Southern Appalachian Mountains, Eastern Tennessee, Western North Carolina, West Virginia, Virginia. That's kind of the epicenter of where the plots 
still are and some of these really good line bred strains of dogs are. Uh, any any thoughts or questions on that? Well, no. I had just no idea. I always wondered where the name Plot came from, and that yeah. I had no idea. It's a family name. Okay, so to me, that's what makes like this hunt have some uniqueness and complexity and kind of a story behind it is that like these brindle dogs one of them's almost black the other one's brindle there is a immense history behind it that's really unique and um and let me just describe this to you and this will help make sense bear dogs are these guys that hunt bear dogs over where all these strains were, where all these strains came from, and especially back in the 1800s and in in time periods when there wasn't much room for <clears throat> having a dog that didn't produce game. Dogs were like it, it, you bred the best dog to the best dog, mm-hmm. and if a dog didn't couldn't tree a coon, couldn't chase a bear, you didn't keep him. And mm-hmm. you didn't breed him, mm-hmm. okay? Like he had to produce game, and so think about 1750 to what are we? Well, 300 years, yeah. Um, just about 300. Well, 1850, <laughs> 1950. <laughs> we're gonna all, okay. We're gonna but, edit that part out. This we is get, a math class yeah, yeah. here. Yes, almost 300 years. Envision breeding the best the dog best of the best. to the best. Yeah time and time again this would be very different than like just a dog breeder that's breeding you know schnauzers trying to get the physical appearance of a schnauzer to look a certain way like these a bear dog has to be bred for athleticism extreme endurance grit courage the courage to stand and fight a bear if it turns and 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 comes after the dog Mm. It's got to be a tree dog. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, mm-hmm. got to have that tree instinct big time. It's got to have a cold nose. Like, you can take a line of 20 hounds, Jonathan, and they, all hounds are not created equal, and their ability to smell scent is not created equal. So, in a line of 20 dogs, there's one that's going to be the best and one that's going to be the worst. And so, you're breeding for all these different characteristics that have to be present in this one dog mm-hmm. to make it worth its salt. And back in the day, there was no room to have an average dog. And so, they didn't have them. So, I mean, they, they fine-tuned these lines of dogs down extreme in, in an extreme way and produced dogs like this right here. And, uh, Fern and Jedi. And it's... And I'm not saying that they're exceptional dogs, but I am saying that they are the result of very, very intentional breeding for 100 and, you know, 200 years. That's, uh, it's, that's, I had no idea. And it's funny because it sounds almost just like what you hear about for racehorse breeding, just the intentionality and the, yes. the ex- extensive selection process that goes through and for such a long time. Yeah. Exactly. That's, a, I had no idea that that kind of, I don't know. You think about like racehorses, and you think about kind of a noble, strong tradition. And I, I was just totally ignorant to plots. Right. Well, and it, and it's not just plots. I, you know, th- th- all the other breeds. Like if if I was if I had Walker dogs, I would be able to tell you similar stories. It would just be a different story. Sure. But I mean, they, plots aren't the exception. 
But the point is, is that these old hillbillies in the mountains that have been breeding dogs for all these years are pretty dang smart, some of them. And, uh, and there's a lot more to it than meets the eye. Right. You know. And to me, that's what's so cool about it. It's kind of this, like, hidden culture that the mainstream world doesn't really know about or care about. Yeah. And, uh, and man, I tell you what, if there is one thing that I could keep and that I could pass on to my children that I just love. And now I love big game hunting. I mean, geez, Louise, I love to bear hunt. Mm. I love to deer hunt. Man, I love to coon hunt. I have more fun coon hunting than almost anything I do. And it's there's there there is a there is a rare human pleasure when you can take a dog that you have raised and trained and partner with that dog to go out and acquire wildlife commodities. Hmm. Rare human pleasure. And all the dog men know what I'm talking about. And man, that that is like to me the essence of the freedom that really this country represents is that we, and, and it's kind of in our cultural history, is that we've got we've got a lot of wild lands. We've stewarded our wildlife resources well, and the hunters have the right to access that those wildlife resources. Mm-hmm. And uh, and Jonathan, you you would I mean you know it because you've heard me talk about it. But my goodness, the hound sports are massively under fire right now right for real i mean like like for real my kids when they're my age could have dramatically less opportunity to do what we're doing tonight than than i did you know and that that's really sad i mean it's like losing part of your culture and uh and so in 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 any way it it and, and coon hunting is not the biggest target. The biggest target for the hound community is, is mountain lion and bear hunting. I mean, they're wanting to snuff that out, but it's no different. Hmm. I mean, if we lived out in Nevada or if we lived in, uh, you know, in eastern Tennessee, we, we probably wouldn't be coon hunters. We'd probably be bear hunting, you know. Hmm. But the um, point is that it's a, it's a really unique, really fun, really fun hunt. We're going to turn around here, I think. I think we're going to go back. And, and here's where we're going to start talking about what we're going to do tonight. Oh, man. Is that we're going to turn these dogs out, and we're just going to free cast them on the back side of a pond. And for whatever reason, coons are almost always around water. That's usually where you find them or where you strike them is they're around water. And these dogs are going to run off and go hunt. And we're going to sit there, and we're going to listen. And... When they first find a track and they bark, that first bark, we would call that a strike. I would say, oh, man, Fern is struck. Okay? That's okay. the terminology we'll use. Yeah, okay. Struck. I'm going to need you to use this terminology tonight. Oh, man, I'm, I'm down. <laughs> <laughs> she's she's going to be struck. And Fern, when she strikes a track, she's kind of squally on the track at first, like... She'll kind of squeal a little bit and bark, and it'll be kind of an irregular bark. And you can you can tell how fresh that track is based upon the intensity of her bark. Okay. If she just screams out of there, just and just gets further and further away, you know that they are really close to that coon. If she just gets out there and is just like. 
you know, and you can tell she's just like she's just like grubbing out this track, like sure. trying to find it, and it's old. And and you'll we'll hear her just move down the hollow, and then at some point she will, when they hit the tree, Jonathan, they will do what they call a locate bark, and it's extremely nuanced, and hopefully we'll be able to hear it. But a but a but a tree bark is when that five second period when uh, the tree bark the locate bark I'm okay. sorry backing up back up okay the locate bark is that short period of time when the dogs have decided that the coon has gone up a tree and it's no longer on the ground and it, it's almost like they're excited that they found it and they let out a long extended bark and then they go into a chop so like fern she'll be trailing this would be an example okay She'd be like, she's barking, uh-huh. and then she finds the tree and she goes, long bark, and then she, she starts chopping. Nice. <laughs> I'm so excited. <laughs> it's it, to to the untrained ear, it's just a dog barking, but to it's it's like you know, like a connoisseur of wine, you know, that can just take. Oh, this mm. is grapes from the. From the hills of Sedona, roasted in the August sun. <laughs> but, you know, it's like... There's the locator bark. Yes. And all my kids are, like, masters mm. at, like, calling Fern, you know, what she's doing, what she's doing. And all these little kids that we take hunting with us, you know, they're, I'm like, are y'all listening for the locate bark? And, I mean, they'll be like, she just located! <laughs> and, I mean, they just get on it. And it's so much fun because it, 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 it just... There's few things in life and in the natural world where you just have the patience to just give something your attention that's not a computer screen or that's not um, something that gives you this like immediate gratification mm. and you, you kind of dissect it and and can call it and learn it. And uh, anyway, something that we've really grown to enjoy. Uh-huh. And so you're going to see these dogs... Go so we're gonna turn them loose and we're gonna we we'll probably just kind of stand up here for a while and let them go down off in the hollow and hunt. We may walk off down there to them. They may tree within two hundred yards of us, mm-hmm. or they might tree five or six hundred yards to us. But the beauty is we don't have any hurry to get to them. We'll just take our time. They're gonna just keep them busy. Them. They're yeah. gonna they're gonna once they we won't go to them until they get treed. So we won't uh, you know we we'll, we may hear them run. We may hear them do a bunch of stuff, but we won't go to them until they get treed. These dogs will have uh, these dogs will have tracking collars on, mm-hmm. so I will know where they're at at all times. They have Garmin tracking collars, um, and so we'll be able to keep track of them. We'll know where they're at, and let's go, let's go tree coon. Yeah. All right, we've got to put these tracking collars on them so we'll know where they're at all the time. We can get them back anytime we need them back. They'll come back if I tone them. Easy burn. Will you grab that? What we do is we're going to go down here. There's a there's a pond right up here, and there's a creek that flows out of the back side of that pond. And we're going to turn those dogs down this hollow. And my prediction is that they will strike down in the hollow about 200 yards from us 
and they'll run it up that spur hollow back over there that way. Okay, this is where we want them to go. It's right here. So I'm just going to, I'm going to check and make sure that I've got them both picked up on the collar. I do. They're both on the collar. So, Jedi, go get them. Whoop. Ah, go get them. And she's just kind of joy barking. Strike. It's possible that they just struck right there, but I don't think so. I think they were just babbling a little bit. Yeah. If now they keep barking, they may have struck one. I think they did strike <laughs> one. I thought she was just babbling. They ain't babbling, buddy. Listen to them. They're burning it up. Yeah. The dog struck right off the leash, went about 250 yards, fell in treed. Okay, we're almost directly below them. Hey, we're 130 yards directly below them. I'm not going to lie to you, that's a rough piece of ground <laughs> right through here. Um... Let's just see what it looks like. Hey, you got him, Jonathan. Hey, you got him, Treed. They got him, Jonathan. You can turn your light on. It's a coon. They got him. Talk to him, Fern. Good girl. Good girl, yeah. That a girl, Fern. That a girl. That's him. That's him. All right. Good job, dog. All right, we had to work for that one, didn't we? Yes, sir. Well, hold up for you. See, now that's what a tree dog looks like. You know how long they've been treed over here. Yeah. They're just working, man. They'll just they'll just stay there and tree. I mean. Honestly, I don't know how long. I mean, I've never left them there all night because I've always gone to them. But in theory, they'd stay there till we got here. That's what you want. 250 years of strategic breeding. That's right. All right. Well, hold on to your quarter. Let's pop him out. Tied to a tree. Just a little bit away from the tree that the coon's up. And they are still happy as can be. Pretty good right here. Here we come. Here we come. Nice fat one. Fire in the hole. After this tree, we'd cast the dogs two more times and tree one more coon before we called it a night. Two coons treed. It's 10.45. We're on our way home. Jonathan, closing thoughts, perceptions of coon hunting. Go. Man, I'll tell you what, there is something about seeing animals that are bred for one thing do that thing they're bred for like i had never seen that before in person yeah. i had seen like videos of like uh rat terriers in england that would go out and actually uh get rats at like barns and stuff that guys would hire them for and to see that in person see these dogs just totally go for it 
be totally enthralled. I mean, you had to, we had to pull them down several times when you were trying to get them away. Yeah. That's amazing. It was amazing. Yeah. And hiking through the woods, too. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> I was telling you that I had never really been, like, kind of that off trail before. But, man, we were going up bluffs, and we were checking out those. I mean, we were just going we were just going for it. And it, I think those raccoons, they got a little strategy in them to go into those high places. They went up some good mountains tonight. Yeah. We had, we had two nice, pretty... Uh, Adventurous walks to, to the tree. Indeed. So, I always, always like it when they get back and hard to get to places, and so it was fun. The, the first tree, they they only, they probably went 250 yards, but we had to scale a mud slick bluff that was pretty steep. <laughs> and then the second one, they went about 400, 500 yards up the mountain. We had to we had was, to go to them. It was a lot more doable, yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for coming, and this won't be. I have a feeling that we have ignited the houndsman coon hunter inside of you. I feel it. Yeah. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. Well, hey, thanks oh, for listening to the Bear Hunting Magazine podcast. Check out our website, bear-hunting.com. Subscribe to the only print bear hunting magazine in the world. And check out our YouTube channel. We're putting up new videos uh, at least every two weeks, and we're about to jump back into our weekly vlog schedule. So what we what we did through the hunting season was we did our Bear Horizon season, which is our cinematic, polished hunting adventure conservation videos. And then when we run through all that content and all that, we're going to go back to our weekly vlog, which Jedi, who's in the dog box right now, is always a part of global headquarters so yeah, keep the wild hold on hold on oh did you have oh, a closing thought oh i was just i finally got to meet fern and jedi i mean that's seen them in the in the weekly pod the weekly youtube videos so many times and yeah boom in person yeah in action. jed's a different dog when he's after a coon isn't he yeah he could care less about being cute for the camera when you see him in the youtube videos with those long eyes and just listening to you and giving contemplative and then tonight he was jumping on that tree. Like, All business. Yeah, man. Yeah. Yep. Well, keep the wild places wild because that's where the bears live and the coons. And the coons. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. Hey, we're going to take a little break here and talk about interstate batteries. Now, if you're like me, enjoying the great outdoors, you need gear that is as reliable as it gets. That's why I power my adventures with interstate batteries. I use interstate batteries in my boats. I use interstate batteries in my camper. Great for your truck, too. From Alaska to Montana, they're outrageously dependable. Battery is essential. With over 150,000 dealer locations, finding one is easy. For all your vehicles, land or sea, choose interstate. Head to interstatebatteries.com and find your power today.